from the Looney Tunes studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for a stinging episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. What presents a bigger danger to you and yours? A hornet's nest hanging on a tree or a hole in the ground with bee-like creatures buzzing around? On today's show, we'll explain why Elmer Fudd is always wrong to break out the broom when a vacuum cleaner is clearly what's called for. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. That's right, we will take that heapin' helpin' of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and jarringly judicious justifications. So keep your eyes and or rears right here because it's all coming up faster than you doing the 30-yard dash with a thousand stinging insects close behind right after this. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters, designed to reduce waste and create compost within 30 to 90 days. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we have a terrifying and informative question of the week for you. We're going to talk about the two different kind of hornets that might appear in your landscape. One is mostly seen in Warner Brothers cartoons, and if you don't act like Daffy Duck or Elmer Fudd, nothing bad will happen. The other is lesser known and much more dangerous. We'll tell you all about them after a bunch of your dangerous phone calls at 888-492-9444. 888-492-9444. Sean, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I am just Ducky, thanks for asking, Sean. Ducky's getting a lot of attention now that he is fully vaccinated and doesn't have to wear his mask anymore. It was gouging against his bill, but he put up with it. Um, where is Sean? I am in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Oh, my goodness. I know where Nazareth is, home of uh, the greatest guitar makers in all the world, Martin Guitar. Did, did you ever take their tour? Um, no, I'm, I'm not really a guitar guy. Okay. Well, it's also, it's where you live. So it's like people in Philadelphia uh, who have never seen the Liberty Bell. No, I live here, you know. <laughs> All right. What can, we, what can we do for Sean in Nazareth, PA? Yeah, okay. So ever since I first heard of your show, I've, I've sort of been crazy about it. And Thank you. Um, I've really gotten the gardening bug since. And the first issue that I seem to read about was yellow leaves right uh, and i understood i thought that it was a calcium deficiency so and you know before i started doing anything crazy i went to double check for my pepper plants mm-hmm. um but then it said it was a magnesium deficiency mm-hmm. so i mean we have epsom salt i, I believe that that's a source of magnesium so is milk of magnesia you know <laughs> well yeah Okay, yellow leaves on your tomatoes? No, my pepper plants. Oh, your pepper plants. Um, yes. Boy, uh, pep- uh, tomato plants are very 
um, sensitive to a lack of calcium in their soil. I've never seen the same thing with pepper plants. So uh, let me ask you a couple of basic questions. Uh, did you buy the plants or grow them yourself? Uh, these plants we bought as relatively small plants. Gotcha. But they, they were grown by someone else. Okay. And, nursery. And good. Uh, that's no problem with that. Um, it takes pepper plants a long time uh, with seed starting. So um, where do you have them now? Are they in containers, raised beds, or flat ground? Uh, they're in containers right now. Okay, good. Uh, what did you fill the containers with? Uh, we had some, we took some of our, our backyard dirt and we had some, I don't know if it was a soil-free mix or if it was like, like miracle Grow type thing. We don't get miracle Grow anymore because of what you said. But. Okay. When you say um, soil-free mix, that's a catch-all term. Uh, it could also be called potting soil. It could also be called seed-starting soil. The important thing is it's free of garden soil, which can really just screw up the whole idea of growing in containers. Uh, one of the, the basic rules of container gardening is no garden soil. Um, one of the best things you can do is uh, get a couple of bags of organic potting soil and then get some compost or um, perfectly clean topsoil and some perlite. Mix that all up in the wheelbarrow and use that and you'll never look back. When you introduce your native soil, that tends to be too heavy for the plants and it can also convey um, all sorts of pathogens and stuff like that. So um, how big are the plants? How big are the pots? Uh, okay, I would say the, the actual plants are four inches tall. Pepper plants grow very slowly compared to tomatoes. It makes seed starting difficult until you yeah. realize you've got to start uh, your peppers on Christmas Eve. Yeah, we're, we're being invaded by our tomato plants now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, they love this weather. Um, how many pots? The containers how? are about, oh, well, just, just two, because the rest of our peppers are doing fine. It's just these two peppers. Huh, and everything's in the same kind of soil? Uh, yeah, and uh, as you were listening before, I think it is a potting soil. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Sterile soil, soil-free mix, potting soil, seed-starting soil. Um, the important thing there is it's naturally light, naturally loose. The organic ones um, now have natural fertilizers in them, like worm castings and stuff. Espoma, um, which I want to acknowledge, uh, support the show financially. They have a great organic potting soil. It's one I use personally and I buy it retail at my local independent garden center. Um, so are we talking hot peppers, sweet peppers? Uh, yeah, one is, it was, a, it was a special ghost pepper, and the other is the Trinidad Jalakia yeah, pepper. Yeah, okay. And uh, are the others in the other pots hot peppers? Um, I, we have a couple of cayenne and... Um, reapers and then we also have some bell peppers okay and which are the two plants that are affected the first two you named yes okay these tropical peppers 
can be a little bit dicey to grow compared uh, to peppers that are not as crazily hot as those two. Um, and of course, bell peppers are a little bit easier overall. Um, how many leaves are yellow? Where are the yellow leaves? Um, I would say that all of them, and, and you know, the plant in general just seems a, you know a little on the lighter side. Okay, um, I would recommend um, taking them out of those pots. Um, you can use that soil in your other gardens, wherever you want. Put it under shrubs, use it to help build a raised bed or something. And then I would go out and get an organic potting mix that specifies um, it contains natural nutrients, like, as I said, um, bird guano, worm casting, something like that, and just start over. I doubt that it is... Um, a lack of elemental food, because then you would see it across the board in your pepper plants. There's also the possibility um, that these things could have come to you already diseased. It happens every once in a while. Um, but I would, um, how big are the pots? Are they 12-inch pots? Um, I, would, I would say about that. One is a little bigger than the other, but they're, they're both, I think, at least 12 inches wide. Okay. And high. That's the nice thing about pots is when you say 12 inches, it's across and down. I would, I would honestly recommend um, if the leaves don't fall off, leave them on, put them up in fresh potting soil, and see if the condition reverses. Once you start getting down to feeding by what you think is nutrient deficiency, you got to look at the other plants that are in the same family. And these two are probably the most fragile because of the environment they come in and the intensity of the heat of the peppers. And it'll cost you one bag of premium organic potting soil. And if I'm wrong, okay. call me back and call me a dummy. Okay? I'll, uh, yeah. So just uh, move them into new soil? Yes, no garden sure. soil, just uh, just a good organic potting mix. Okay. okay? All right, good luck to yep. you. And again, if I'm wrong, call me back. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bug, 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 little and where is Ron doing fine? I live in Wilmington, Delaware. Okay, very good. What can we do you for, sir? Well, I've been having problems with my 
uh, strawberry patch. Uh, mm-hmm. I seem to have uh, bugs of some kind. As soon as the berries start to ripen, why something starts eating at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't seem to bother them until they start to ripen. Um, and I did, uh, at, a, at a suggestion, I did uh, put out some uh, trays, or not trays, but uh, for uh, with beer, mm-hmm. but uh, thinking that maybe they were slugs, but uh, they didn't uh, uh, seem to take to any of the uh, the uh, trays that I had put out. Okay, uh, well, that's... I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't catch any slugs. Right, well, that's a good process of elimination. Uh, what's the possibility that mice are able to access the strawberries? Uh, they could access it, but I don't think so because we have a outdoor cat, and she is pretty uh, good about things like that, of uh, uh, keeping up with uh, the fields around us. Okay, great. Uh, describe the damage to me. Well, it would be like they would eat uh, or peck at uh, the end of the berry. Sometimes they would, uh, up as much as the half of the the berry itself would be eaten away when I would uh, check uh, the crop in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the other concern I have is that the berries often, uh, at this time anyway, seem to fall on because of the weight of the berry uh, on the vine uh, or on the uh, the plant uh, plant uh, tend to uh, dip down into this onto the soil and mm-hmm. sometimes uh, they, I think bugs get get this the uh, strawberry at that point too. It makes access much easier. Are you growing them in a container, flat ground, or a raised bed? Uh, flat ground. Okay. Uh, I think you're working against yourself there. Uh, protecting ripe strawberries can be very difficult compared to the other fruits. You know, raspberries grow at the top of canes. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Blueberries grow at the top of the plant. But the, uh, the strawberries are just laying there. <laughs> I mean, you might as well have a sign, eat at Joe's. Um, <laughs> and these are June berries, I'm presuming, or are they ever bearing? Yes. June berries. Uh, June berries. Okay. So um, what I'm going to suggest, if you can still find plants, I would get a nice container. You know, they do. the, the reason you see strawberry pots in um, garden centers is because it, it really keeps the fruit clean and keeps uh, pests off of them, no matter what the pest is. They, they have to go to work to get to them. So I would say get a nice big container and see if you can find some um, ever-bearing plants that are still around. Okay. And then you, you okay. should get um, strawberries this year. But I think you gotta stop growing them on the ground, especially if it's flat ground. Um, you can try fencing around it, uh, but that could be voles as well. I know you got a cat, but um, and if the damage is being done overnight, I'm shocked that it isn't slugs. But um, but I believe you. But I, I think the answer is to it's just a plant that doesn't do well growing on the ground because it's too attractive. Okay. So grow in a strawberry pot and other type of container, and I, I think you'll be able to eat your strawberries for a change. 
Well, yeah, I don't mind sharing uh, sharing them, but when oh, they I get do. the majority of them, I get a little concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't share well. You know, I don't I don't work and play well with other children, and I don't share. <laughs> All right, okay. man. Okay, I appreciate it. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will make my first post-COVID appearance live and in person at the Bayshore Center in Port Norris, New Jersey, which is about an hour and a half south of Philadelphia on Saturday, August 28th at 3.30. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with a hard look at Hornets and more of your Hornady phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters, designed to be compact, odor-free, and easy to use. They can help anybody get started composting. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, beautiful Mike McGrath. Coming up a little later in the show, it is Hornet time. Forget about murder hornets, kids. They're not coming after you, and they're even failing to take root in the Pacific Northwest. They're not interested in you either. Ah, but there is a smaller, less known, but more dangerous hornet. It may be in your garden right now. We'll tell you all about it after a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at 888-492-9444. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Carol. How are you you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being had. Uh, Where are you? I'm in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Okay. We get a lot of calls from Sudbury. Is it something in the water there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have quite a following. <laughs> uh, apparently we do. All right, so what can we do for, for Carol in Sudbury? Okay, well, I'm a longtime listener, mm-hmm. and I've tried to um, improve the soil by getting tons of 
compost delivered from a local landscaping supply place. Right. So I had, you know, for a few years, mm-hmm. like 20 to 30 yards. I mean, it's been a lot. I put it everywhere. Good. My raised beds and all over the place. And then I find out about Asian jumping worms. Oh, and and I asked a local um, woman who should know, and she said they they were you know they are in the area um, you know carried by these landscapers who supply huge amounts of compost. So I believe I have them because um, you know they it, they're right at the surface. They make the soil you know, very kind of crumbly, mm-hmm. and they're huge, and they jump. I mean, they make <laughs> me jump six feet, you know, when I'm trying to dig. It's like, they're like small snakes almost. Yeah, yeah. Some that's, of them. I have uh, yet to experience them personally, um, but maybe that's because I have the ability and the help to make all my own compost. Um but I don't I know. know well, how I have four composters, but I don't get compost in the volume that I need. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on how big your garden is, too. But uh, yeah, yeah, you've uh, you've done nothing wrong. Now I wonder. In the past, I've always recommended that people get a sample of the compost they're going to buy, um, and put it mm. in two containers. One container, they should plant some seeds in it. The other container, they should leave empty. And if the seeds sprout and the seedlings look good, well, that means that there's no residual chemicals in the compost. If the, if the empty one stays empty, that means there's no weed seeds. But I wonder if this also wouldn't be a giveaway uh, to the presence of these uh, invasive worms. Now let's. I wish I had done that. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> too soon, old, too late, smart. Exactly. So, um, going back through the uh, sordid history of earthworms, I'm still not sure I buy into this, uh, but experts say that there were no earthworms left after the little ice age retreated like 10,000 years ago. Um, and that mm-hmm. we were wormless until the Europeans came over and brought European earthworms in their potting soils and their potted plants and muddy boots and stuff. And that all of the earthworms in America today are non-native earthworms. And they're, they claim that because they're non-native and they over-fertilize the soil, they're responsible for a changeover of plants in the wild. Um, And, you know, but that's always going to be happening, especially as the world gets smaller. The rate of change in our environment is is going to be mind-boggling. There's no way to keep up with it. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you had discovered these in your own compost or in a potted plant or something, you could do something about it. Um, You know, if it were only a small area, you could try to solarize it. But truth be told, and and the kind of bulk that you're using, there would always be survivors and they would come back. Now, what does happen over time 
is these invasives kind of take over and they bully everything out of their way. But then nature finds kind of a, a compromise, a, a midpoint where everything can exist together. Now, we're, we are watching the research to see if there's anything uh, that can be done to slow these guys down. But, you know, they're living in the soil. Anything you do would be put directly in the soil. So they are superior fertilizing creatures. Um, they are putting more nutrients into the soil than the European earthworm. So they're not oh, necessarily yeah? causing a problem, um, but they can scare okay. the bejesus out of people, <laughs> which, um, yeah. you know, all I can say is you'll get used to it. But, you know, this is, this is nature. Nature is not mm. static or Disney. It's, it's mm. constant change, and it's, and it's Darwin. You know, at least they're not yeah. contaminating your soil. That would be a bad one. Yeah. But, I mean, they're not... I don't see any plants dying. Oh, no. The only thing that I do notice is they, you know, I guess they're, you know, erosion. They're, they cause erosion because they make the soil so crumbly at the top, and so it tends to wash away easier. Huh. Well, I would that. say just just plant more, you know, keep that soil well, in Well, that's what I wonder. Place. I thought I should just throw like regular. Now I'm just buying everything from Ghost of Maine in the bag. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, so I um, I could put some Coast of Maine mulch over the top. They have a nice mulch with seaweed in it. Oh, you cool! Know about that? Yeah. Oh, they're a great so. company. Um, they they had sponsored the show for a couple of uh, months in the spring, and we expect them to be back again next year. But I mean, I talk about them anyway because I really do like their products and their integrity. So, yeah, just yeah. keep the beds filled up. And, um, okay. you know, when I first heard about this, I, I thought the best answer here would be to set up a ticket book, uh, ticket booth in front of your garden and wear a ringmaster's <laughs> hat and uh, have people pay a quarter to come in and see the amazing ancient jumping well, worms. The they really are big. I mean, they, it's, they're like, like small snakes. You know, you're digging and all of a sudden it's like right there. And oh, Hey, you got you a know, show. You got the makings of a show. <laughs> all you need is the patter. Okay. Teach them to jump through little wormy hoops. I mean, you know, possibilities oh. are endless. Make lemonade. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I don't. All right. Well, thank you so much. My Mike. pleasure. Really you take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Carrie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carrie. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I am just ducky. Uh, Ducky is thrilled mm -hmm. to be free of his mask these days and, um, Looking forward to a mask-free future. Um, and oh, indeed. How, uh, where is Carrie? I'm in Halstead, Pennsylvania. Oh, man. Where is that? <laughs> exactly. It is about, do you know where Binghamton, New York is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so about maybe 20 miles south of there, just over the border into PA. Oh, okay. Very good. Is there a traffic light? <laughs> Yeah, there actually is not. <laughs> it's pretty rural. 
Okay. Well, that can be nice. That's beautiful country up there. Yeah, it's very nice. All yeah, very right. Pretty. What can we do for Carrie, who can always make a quick escape to New York? <laughs> yes. Um, well, as you know, it has not stopped raining for, I think, three years, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and while my garden is enjoying all the rain, it's my first year with, like, a pretty sizable garden, and I'm finding my pumpkins, my gourds, my squash a little bit, but mostly the pumpkins and the gourds are experiencing a lot of um, yellowing leaves and leaves with spots. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Some people were saying powdery mildew, but I, I thought doesn't... I had read that that's more of a dry condition, so I'm not really sure what I'm dealing with and, and how to combat it. Yeah, and with powdery mildew, you have a mildewy-like powder on the plants. So I think we're talking basic stress. Now, um, how is the new growth, the new leaves that are coming out? They look great. Okay, good. They're very happy. So what I, what I want you to do is pull off all your diseased leaves so to speak, and just leave the new growth um, first because maybe the diseased-looking ones could be spreading disease, but more importantly, your garden is going to look a lot better, and and people will be deceived into thinking you're good at this. Now, (laughs) are you growing in raised beds or flat earth? Uh, Flat earth. Yeah, see, in in a rainy situation... Um, especially when we get too much moisture for too many years in a row, a flat earth garden really suffers. If my garden had been flat Mm. earth, I would have lost everything uh, during some of these monsoons that come through. Mm -hmm. It's been crazy. I've I've never seen it this rainy before. It's really, really a lot. (laughs) Well, figure out how big a cubit is and start building that arc, right? Yeah, I know. That's so pull off yeah. all, uh, are, how are you feeding the plants? Um, well, I, I do, I've done some different things. I have, um, rabbit manure, which is oh. been really good. Mm-hmm. And also like the fish fertilizer. Mm-hmm. I've been using kind of alternating with those. Is it fish alone or is it fish and seaweed? It's the Alaska one. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Stop using that right away. Um, I know it's one of the old original organic fertilizers. Heck, I used to use a ton of it. Um, But there is a ton of chlorine in it. Uh, Perhaps perhaps from the the process that makes it into a fertilizer. And, uh, you know, I've been warning people not to use it. And it could certainly uh, overstress plants that are already stressed by too much water. So I love the, um, uh, do you make your own rabbit manure? Well, we do, we raise rabbits, so we have like an abundance of, of manure and it's, it's really quite good. So, oh yeah. It's, yeah, that's, that's never a shortage. <laughs> it's well balanced and it's pelletized. It's not messy. Right, right. Right. So continue yeah. to so do that. Sort of. You can't really okay. overdo rabbit manure. It won't burn your plants or anything like that. So, right. 
you're in good shape. Yep. Um, pull off the bad leaves. No more of that okay. fish fertilizer. If you want to go in that direction, okay. there are other companies that make mixtures of fish and seaweed okay. that are not so affected. But if you look at the bottle, um, you'll even see the chlorine content listed. Uh, okay. Which I never realized was a giveaway as to something being wrong, but that's the way yeah. it is. Yeah, that's odd. I'm surprised they have that. I do have a question. Should I spray with like this baking soda, water, dish soap mixture? Somebody had suggested that. I haven't done that yet because I wasn't quite sure what that would do or. Never spray anything any unless you're certain of the problem. Um, I think right. in, okay. I, I think in this case it's all cultural. You can't stop the rain, um, but you can right. you can switch fertilizers. Obviously, don't add uh -huh. any water. If you go through a dry spell, just let the plants um, dry out for a change. And how many okay. how many fruits are you allowing to form on each vine? Um, well, for the pumpkins, there's maybe. I would say three or four mm -hmm. per vine on the on the most. Um, the the gourds are a little different. They're kind of they're going crazy. They're they're producing a lot of fruit. So okay. I've I've snipped the male the main vine at like about ten feet, right. and I'm letting the females go. But like I'm running, it's running out of room. It's on a trellis actually. Oh yeah. Um, and it's just it's so pretty, but it's kind of getting like I'm worried it's going to be too heavy if have like to, all those fruits start to actually grow. It depends on the variety of pumpkin. But you have to realize when you plant pumpkins, you are giving up your garden to another power. Um, oh, and, I know. It's crazy. And that's going to be another advantage of getting rid of the discolored leaves is it's going to let more airflow in there. At this point in the season, it's a good idea to pinch off any new flowers so that the fruits that you okay. have develop. But allow new leaves okay. to form because they'll feed the plant. And okay. You, and you got to look into building a couple of raised beds starting next year. Okay. Yeah, we we were planning it, and then the next thing you knew, it was June, and it's like, uh -huh. oh my goodness, uh -huh. time I goes know so that. quick. <laughs> yeah, for me it was July. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I, I think you're okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Good luck. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. <laughs> bye bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that this is the season of picking and that string beans, as well as zucchini and other summer squash, taste best when they are picked very small. If you can see them, you can eat them. And picking early encourages the plants to keep producing. But don't go inspecting your harvest to be just yet, because we'll be right back with Hornets Good and Bad and more of your good and bad phone calls. I'm sometimes good Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to some very valuable information about the hornets that may be threatening your hacienda. But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Steve, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, I'm calling from Wethersfield, south of Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, very good. Nice to hear from you, Steve. What can we do for you? I'm wondering if it's too late to prune large shrubs. Well, uh, what kind of shrubs? Are they spring bloomers? Um, well, beauty bush, azalea, mock orange, viburnum, red twig dogwood, and wygala. Okay, so why do you feel the need to prune them? Uh, most of it's opportunity because I've got a gardener who's ready and I've got the funds. And to some extent, they're shading over other plants. Okay. Well, those sound like bad reasons. Um, I okay. Don't, uh, you know, anytime it's convenient for you to do something, it's probably wrong for the plants. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, um, I don't know what your relationship with the gardener or anything is. Maybe you can pay now and have them prune later. Uh, but the perfect time, as you know, to prune all these plants is after they bloom in the spring. And, you know, then you can uh, make sure they're not shading the other plants. And you'll get, you know, you'll get a good springtime show. We, we should appreciate uh, what we get in the spring more. I mean, let's face it. Is there a better cure for the month of March yeah. than azaleas and rhododendrons and spring bulbs coming up. Is there a, a um, bad reason to prune them in the dead of winter or the, uh, the end of winter? Yes, because then you're going to remove the flower buds that are about to open. Now, if they are not, okay. if they are not spring bloomers, if they're summer bloomers, um, you can have them cut back now. This isn't the worst time of year. Uh, but don't cut anything back after you say you're up in Connecticut. I would not prune anything yeah. back. I would not prune anything back um, after September 1st because then you're starting. September. Yeah, September. Uh, because then you're starting okay. to get into the fall season. And if you prune in the fall, and it stimulates new growth, that new growth could be damaged by winter. So uh, you can prune away now. I mean, even the spring bloomers, if you don't go crazy, the only thing that will happen is you'll lose a couple of, uh, couple of blooms. But, you know, more I think about okay. it, if the person is there, you can afford it. I would just uh, really go gentle on spring bloomers, and no matter what, don't cut away or don't let them cut away more than one-third of the plant in any one pruning spell. Yeah, that's been about my philosophy. Take, take it directly from the base, about a third. Yes, yeah, about a third of the plant. And that tends to make sure you open them up to airflow and 
remove the shade. Yeah. And then should we get hit by a really dry spell afterwards, make sure the plants stay well watered. Yes, okay. In an earlier broadcast, can I ask another question? You sure. talked about kitty litter. Go ahead. Okay, you said kitty litter is okay for compost as long no. as I remove the solids. No, no. No. No, kitty litter, okay. kitty litter is okay to pour down a groundhog roll. A hole to try to evict the groundhog, uh, but under no circumstances oh, okay. uh, does any kind of cat or dog waste go into the compost pile. You know, I I know it's okay. So it's not just a chemical. Oh uh, well, there's you know there's no chemicals really in kitty litter. It's just clay. Um, although there's some fancy ones out yeah. there made from other natural materials. So there there's no chemicals in them, uh, but the fecal matter okay. of cats can uh, contain parasites, even if the cat is an indoor cat all the time. And same for dog. Uh -huh. Any Anything with soft paws is prone to picking up worms and, and other parasites. And I wish there were a That's better use for used kitty litter for those of us who don't have a groundhog hole uh, to pour it down. Um, and I invite anybody, I mean, you could use it for fill. I mean, you could line your landscape with it to try to keep away deer. Uh, but no, not in the compost. That's a good point. Okay, very good. I needed to know that. Oh, uh, right. I guess that also, in terms of hole, in terms of filling holes, I guess that's good for um, chipmunks and rabbits too, right? Well, rabbits don't dig. You know, American rabbits don't dig holes. I mean, really? they no, that's uh, Bugs Bunny is a fraud. He's actually a European hare. Uh, that dig uh, very deep and um, convoluted burrows. But American rabbits just sit on top of the grass. That's why you see they're young, unprotected um, so often. So they don't make mm. holes. Um, uh, chipmunks tend to live in rock walls and other things like that with little cavities. But big holes are generally groundhogs, and they need to be filled in, and you need to try to evict them. Okay, because uh, I really thought the two holes in the back of my garden were rabbit, but I'll I'll look closer. Well, fine. Um, yeah, so I'll dump the kitty litter. Find a little right. girl in the neighborhood named Alice. Ask her to see if she can go down go. one of the holes, and then she'll come back with a story for you. Very good. All right, sir? Yes, thank you very much. All right, good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep, bye. And now it is time for a hugely important question of the week. Hornet nests okay in a tree, but not in the ground. Kate writes, greetings from Clarksburg, Maryland to Mike and the You Bet Your Garden team. I have a tiny backyard where I grow in containers and a small raised bed that's framed with metal. It's 15 inches deep, 7 feet long, and 18 inches wide mostly filled with perennial herbs like thyme, marjoram, parsley, and oregano. In the last week to 10 days, I've noticed yellow, quote, bees coming up out of the soil under my oregano when I water. Not a swarm, but about 10 to 15 of them at a time. I think they are hornets, and I've attached some pictures to see if you agree. They're the best images I could get because, uh, I'm pretty sure they're hornets. If they are hornets, 
what would be the best way to remove them without using chemicals. My preliminary internet search seemed to recommend the use of chemicals, and I'd rather throw everything out and start over than go that route. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Kate, because this is the perfect time of year to warn people about the only, quote, bee-looking type of insect that they must be wary of, especially when those insects appear in or near a garden bed. That means, yes, you do unfortunately have, quote, hornets nesting under your herbs. I say unfortunately because underground hornet nests are populated by yellow jackets, the deadliest flying insects in the United States. Now remember, kids, all yellow jackets are hornets, but not all hornets are yellow jackets. Say that three times real fast. And this missive is doubly timely, as my fellow Channel 39 and WLVR person, audacious art from accounting, all hail they who signed the checks, just called me at home with a similar but completely different question. Art's neighbor had just noticed a classic Warner Brothers cartoon hornet's nest in one of Art's shrubs and was worried that the inhabitants thereof posed a danger to the neighbor's children or maybe its grandchildren. Art wasn't sure which, but math leads me to believe it probably isn't both. Anyway, to illustrate the danger difference between these two types of hornets, Art mentioned that the nest hadn't been visible before the hedge was trimmed recently. Hello? Anybody home? If some jamoke trimming a shrub right next to a hornet's nest wasn't attacked, why worry about some kids playing, theoretically, a yard away? The answer is our attachment to childhood cartoons, whether it's Donald Duck, Elmer Fudd, Tom and Jerry, or Sniffles the Mouse, the first sight of that football-shaped hive hanging in a tree is the cue for Elmer to get a broom, antagonize the otherwise gentle creatures, and get stung multiple times upside his head. Don't be like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> now there's a good t-shirt just waiting to be made. Leave that nest alone, and the bald-faced European hornets within will continue to dine on your caterpillar pests until frost, and then they'll expire. That nest will not be reused by new hornets the following season, making it a nifty show-and-tell item the following year. Kids can take the now-deserted nest to class and cut it down the middle to expose the intricate architectural marvel that nature has created inside. Hey, kids, if you do this, for best effect, assure everyone that any hornets left inside are long dead, and then add, huh, at, least, at least I hope they are. Same for yellow jackets. As frost approaches, a new queen will leave the nest, leaving the males to fend for themselves, and we all know what that means, that they will quickly die. As with above-ground hornets, that nest likewise will not be reused the following season. 
But in July and August, it is buzzing with nasty, aggressive, mean-tempered, and not at all nice yellow jackets, which can and do number in the thousands at this time of year. Approach the nest and you will be attacked. The first string of attackers will inject you with a pheromone that incites the other occupants of the nest to pile on. Run and they will chase you. Freeze and they will sting you. Yes, you are screwed, glued, and tattooed. Once you get to safety, apply a meat tenderizer containing papain, made from the papaya fruit, to the stings to denature the venom. Works like a charm. If they chase you towards a grocery store, buy a whole papaya, cut it into sections, and rub the chunks on your stings. If you are, quote, allergic to bee stings, slam the EpiPen full of epinephrine that you're supposed to have with you at all times into your thigh and then hightail it to the nearest emergency room or dock in a box. Do not hesitate. Depending on the number of stings, you could be in serious trouble, deadly serious. But let's prevent that, shall we? Wait for a cold night and take an old canister vacuum or shop vac outside and plug it into a grounded outlet. As you approach your target, have a helper ready to spray any sleepy guards with PAM or similar spray on cooking oil while you place the hose as close as possible to the entrance hole. Ah, but don't turn that machine on just yet. Wait till the morning and then hit the switch and watch with fascination as the aggressive creatures rise up out of the nest to attack this noisy invader, flying to their doom by the dozens. When no more yellow jackets appear, tape the hose shut tightly with duct tape and only then turn off the machine. Leave it bake in the sun for a few days and then dispose of the bodies. Well, that sure was some important advice for those of you with deadly holes in the ground now, wasn't it? If you would like to read this important information over at your leisure or your leisure, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to open my vacuum cleaner early if I don't get out of this studio. Ooh, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore. It's YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to hundreds, hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, aye, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org.
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was bitten by a werewolf with mange, so he didn't even get the cool hair. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, cheerful Charlie Sarah, is on vacation. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work and send us your pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz, who is also on vacation. We are somewhat assisted by the usual gang of idiots, which would include Eric Werner, but he's on vacation. I know Zach the Tack is here, the other Jake, and whoever else is hanging around out there. Our fearless leader and CEO, Tim Fallon, is busy practicing for being late for real meetings instead of Zoom ones. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm busy harvesting green beans and beet greens. Hey, that's six times real fast, kids. I'm admiring my big green tomatoes waiting for them to turn red and this year's fabulous garlic harvest while avoiding ticks, mosquitoes, and late-night TV ads, at least until I see you again next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some experts feel that the numbers of migrating monarch butterflies couldn't be better. Others say the numbers couldn't be worse. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll discuss why this wide divide and how you can help keep those magnificent butterflies hale and hearty. Plus your hale and hearty phone calls. 